Psalm 23, which is no surprise because here we are on our 11th sermon inside of this chapter of Scripture, and this is the last one. So I'm, I'm a little bit sad to see Psalm 23 go. Honestly, I've enjoyed just unpacking it verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and uh, next week we do start a new series called The Model, and we're going to jump into prayer and how to pray and look at the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer that is there in Matthew 6, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We'll begin to walk through that prayer and teach on it uh, next week, but this week here we are in Psalm 23. To all of the men and women who helped with Ladies Conference uh, this weekend here on Friday and Saturday, uh, a couple hundred ladies here for that conference, thank you for uh, jumping in. And yesterday this room was entirely different. The stage, tables, everything was different. And thank you for helping bring it back together for today for service. So uh, thank you to everyone who helped with that. Psalm 23, let's read this portion of Scripture one more time, uh, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that this psalm is bookended with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here in this final verse, David actually switches back to third person. If you remember early on in our series, we talked about how you can kind of lay the psalm out Uh, based on uh, what person he's using. So he begins in third person, the Lord is my shepherd, but he switches in verse number four to second person, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because thou art with me, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. And now here, whether it's at the very end of verse five or here in verse six, it's tough to tell, but David switches back to third person when he says this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The primary application that I'm going to draw today, and and we'll get to it at the end of the sermon, is really what I want to entitle this, is just these three words, forever with Jesus. If I could take this phrase and and give it to you in a nutshell and take you, let you take something home today, it would be these words, forever with Jesus. Uh, Psalm 23, 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's three uh, really, I think, potent, valid applications that I want to make from this verse this morning that will help us. But before I get there, I do at least want to go through what David is saying. And I want us to understand the authorial intent behind this, this passage before I begin to apply it to our lives. So what is David saying when he says this final crescendo in Psalm 23, verse number 6, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I I first want us to understand this thought, I will dwell. The orchestra, you guys just keep on coming. Keep on coming. I love it. So I will dwell. What what does that mean? David, I think that's a, a purposeful word used for a reason. And the thought that I will dwell deserves to be emphasized. So David is not saying here, I want to chat. I want to sit on the back porch, I want to have a cup of coffee, 
I want to spend the night. I want to sit down and have a meal. What he's saying is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What he's saying is, I want to retire here. I want to live here. I don't want a, a permanent housing or, or a temporary housing. I want permanent housing. I want a place where I can reside. I want a lifelong residence. And this is important because understand that the Hebrew people are nomadic people for, for centuries. That they are people who are dwelling here, there, and everywhere. If you look at this word dwell in the Old Testament, it's used hundreds and hundreds of times because the, the children of Israel are constantly dwelling here and then dwelling there and then dwelling here and then dwelling there. And they're finally reached a point now where they have entered into the promised land, their dwelling place that the Lord had promised them. So if there was, if there was anyone, especially the king, if there was anyone that should be content that I'll just dwell here in the promised land, it would probably be David. But David says, I'm really not content just to be in the promised land. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to set up shop. This is where I want to dwell. And he uses this word, the house of the Lord. So what is David referring to here? Is he referring to heaven? Is he referring to an earthly building, to somewhere here that, that's earthly? I think that if, if you understand David and you look at kind of his bent and what he has a heart for in Scripture, the house of the Lord, that David is clearly referring to in this, in this portion of Scripture to an actual physical place, that he's not applying it necessarily to heaven. That's a valid application, and I'll make the application later in the sermon. But he is referring to uh, an actual physical building. So understand the house of the Lord, also known as the tabernacle, one day will be known as the temple. Understand a little bit of the history here. So if you go to uh, Exodus 25, you don't have to turn there, but if you study on your own, Exodus 25, you'll find that the Lord gives Moses instruction to build a tabernacle in the wilderness or the house of the Lord. And, and all the instruction is there, and they're to build this, and you're going to have the brazen altar, and you're to have the, the outward a courtyard for the Gentiles, and you're supposed to have the, the holy place and the holy of holies and all these instructions, and here's what you make it with, and here's how you do it. And, and all of it points to Jesus, all of it points to the Messiah who's one day going to come. But he gives them this instruction, and it's here that the presence of the Lord will come, will dwell, and he will tabernacle with them. He will lead them through this house of the Lord. And once they get to the promised land, this tabernacle is set up in Gibeon. So the Gibeonites are the people who go to the children of Israel, and the Lord told the children of Israel, don't make a peace pact as you go into the promised land. Don't make a treaty with anybody. Don't make a peace pact. But the Gibeonites dress up in old clothes, and they bring old moldy bread, and they're very close by, but they act like we came so far, and it's been so long, and we'll just serve you and be your servants. And the children of Israel, they make a league with them. They make a peace pact with them. And then, and then Gibeon kind of takes the, the, the covers off and they say, surprise, actually, we're your neighbors and now we're going to be your servants, but you can't, you can't conquer us. And so Gibeon is a city, when they get to the promised land, that is a fortified city. It's a good city. It's intact, but they don't have to conquer it. They don't have to break down the walls. They don't have to level the city. It's there. And they decide to set up the tabernacle in Gibeon. So Gibeon is five miles northwest. To me, that's northwest. To you, that looks like east. So to you, it'd be northwest of Jerusalem. And this is where the tabernacle is. And David actually has a heart to bring the house of the Lord to Jerusalem. So much so that David actually builds a tent and he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. I encourage you maybe to make yourself a note in your, in your phone or in the margin of your Bible or something. And in your own time, go study First Chronicles 15 and 16. 
This is where David sets up this tent in Jerusalem and brings the Ark of the Covenant. And they have this church service of church services to dedicate this new sort of house of the Lord. And David wants to build a permanent temple there, but the Lord tells him, no, you can't, but I'm going to allow your son Solomon to do it. And that's a source of encouragement to David that the house of the Lord will be here in, in Mount Zion, uh, on the holy hill in Jerusalem. And if you study First Chronicles 15 when they bring this, it is, I'm telling you, it's the cat's meow for David. He is ecstatic that the house of the Lord, in a sense, is going to be in Jerusalem now. And they have this church service where there's a ton of music. They spend a lot of time in, investing in the Psalms. They get Asaph on board. They get all the chief singers on board to be able to sing. They have, uh, they have cymbals. They have trumpets. They have all these different instruments. This is where David dances before the Lord one of the times. And Micah, his wife, sees him, and she despises him that he's doing this, and he's celebrating so much. They actually give out. It's such a celebration. They give out to all of the children of Israel. If you were a man or woman, adult, didn't matter, you got a loaf of bread, a good chunk of meat, and then a raisin cake. They gave out goodies that day just to celebrate this, this event, which tells us we can have, you know, breakfast on Easter morning or we can give out stuff, our visitor table. That's biblical right there, okay? They were giving out meat and food for this, for this worship service. So they do this. It's, it's studied out in your own time. It's awesome. But they have this grand celebration. Why? Because the house of the Lord now, in a way, is going to be in Jerusalem that the ark is going to be there, that I can, I can be there. And this is what David's heart longs for. He longs to see the house of the Lord there. He longs to dwell there. That David, the shepherd king, says, yes, I could, I could go in the flock and I could spend time with sheep and I could enjoy that, but I really don't want to be in the field with the sheep. A man who had his fair share of war and killing and, hey, I could go with the soldiers and be on the battlefield, but... I don't really want to be on the battlefield. I could be in my palace and I could execute the kingly duties and responsibilities, but I don't really want to be there. Where I really want to be is the house of the Lord. Where I really want to dwell, where I want to set up shop, where I want to spend time is in the house of the Lord, worshiping God, praising God, having these services. This is what David craves. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Then he adds this word, forever. Now both... I will dwell and forever, both have this sense of permanence. And the word forever, that's a strong word to use. If you think about in your own life, how many things in your life do you want to go on forever? Think about it, catalog. How many could you list that I want this to happen forever? For example, if your wife attends ladies' conference, and you are responsible to play Mr. Mom for 24 hours on Friday night and Saturday morning and afternoon and evening, which I may or may not have had to do over the past uh, 48 hours here, you don't want that to go on forever, <laughs> right? That's a part of my life that I enjoyed kind of being Mr. Mom for a day, but I did not want that to go on forever. This Honestly, yesterday, my children, they gave me so many illustrations. It was, it, it was impeccable, actually. Yesterday evening, I watched the kids. I was fine. Then yesterday morning, okay, just to put you in the Likens household for about a two-hour chunk of time, I'll just, I'll just walk you through my progression in my morning because it was beautiful. So my daughter 
wakes up. So I have two kids. Willow is six months old. Uh, Brennan is almost three years old. So Willow has this internal clock like most babies do where she wakes up at 7.30 sharp every morning and 4.30 sharp and 1.30 sharp as well, but that's beside the point. But she wakes up at 7.30 sharp. So Maggie, my wife, uh, feeds her, and she's going to take off the ladies' conference. So she just kind of, I'm still in bed, okay? It's Saturday morning. You know, I want to watch a cartoon or something. I don't want to be out of bed at 7.30 in the morning. Some of you are morning people. I'm not. So she lays her in bed, and I'm thinking, I'll just snuggle with Willow, you know, 7.30 to 8 until Brennan wakes up. That, that's not the way it works with, like, this, you know, chipper little six-month-old. They grab your hair, and they pinch your nose, and they poke you, and the little eagle talons growing out of their fingers, they, like, claw your face. It is not snuggle time. So for half an hour, I'm a little frustrated, and my son wakes up at 8, as he normally does. I go in his room, and Brennan has a bloody nose that I don't know how or why, but has a bloody nose that has gone everywhere. And it's on him, it's on his face. I mean, literally, it looks like he's a man of war. I mean, there's just blood everywhere on his, on his blanket. So I get him, and I clean him up, and I throw this, the blankets and stuff in the laundry. By now, it's probably 8.20 or so, and I'm thinking, I want to go back to bed. Like, I was not ready to wake up and do this. So I have this plan, okay? I'm going to get 20 more minutes of sleep. I can do this. I can put Will right there next to me. She'll be all fine. I'll set her up right there, and I'll get Brennan, my son. This is probably too much information, but it's okay. You'll, you'll love it. So my son loves, if there's a digital clock, he loves to watch the clock. I don't know why, he just does. He loves to see that it's 523, and now he'll just wait, and, five, and he'll turn to 524, and he'll get all excited and happy that it's 524, and he'll just wait. And he knows his numbers, so you can actually, you can entertain my son for, I sometimes do, for half an hour if you want. If you just take a piece of paper... And you write down, it's 820, you just write down the numbers, 820, 821, 822, 823. And he'll take that piece of paper and he'll watch the clock. And when the clock changes, he'll find it on the piece of paper and he'll connect them. And he'll just, he'll love it. So I'm thinking, I can do 20 of those and, and just, you know, just lay here in peace for 20 minutes and catch my breath. So I do, okay? It's 820. I give, I draw it out to 840. This is going to work. I wasn't planning on drifting back to sleep. I just wanted to like lay there for a minute, but I did. And I wake up before my 20 minutes is over to this tickling torture feeling on my bare feet. And my son is the pin that I drew the numbers with. I forgot to put it away. So he's found the pin and he's stabbing me in the bottom of my feet, which is somewhat funny. But he's, this, that's not how he started with the pin. He started by drawing on himself. Then he went to his six-month-old sister. This is not a joke. He went to his six-month-old sister and he drew on her. Then he drew on my covers in my bed. And then they just way to my feet and woke me up. So I wake up and I'm thinking, what is going on? <laughs> like, this cannot be this difficult. So if you, if you go find my kids today, I promise, there's still pin marks somewhere on them. So I clean them up. I, I get all the stuff and I pick up Willow. And just to put the cherry on top, I pick up Willow. And Willow has what we call in the Likens household a blowout. So that's when, <laughs> that's when the diaper is full and now it is overflown into the clothing. So... I take Willow in three diapers and 30 wet wipes later. She's cleaned up. I'm reading an OxyClean box for the first time in my life. I've never stain treated these clothes. Like, that's not my wheelhouse. So I'm reading this box on how to stain treat these clothes. I'm two hours in. I'm two hours in to watching these kids, and it felt like forever. Like, I don't, I don't drink. I'm not tempted to drink. But if you, if you had a bottle of whiskey at that point in time, I may have. Like, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't have. That's bad to say, I know, progressive sanctification, forgive me. Um, there are some things, many things, most things in life 
you don't want to go on forever, okay? Most of them are not that bad, and the day did get better, and we had a wonderful time, and I was an amazing dad, and it was awesome, okay? But you don't want a lot of things to go on forever. When David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that means something. This is big time, that I want some permanence here, that I'm going to dwell forever in the house of the Lord. So how do we take this thought and how do we apply this? Because the house of the Lord that David's referring to, the tabernacle that's in Gibeon, then setting up the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple, it gets torn down, then Herod's temple, those are gone. There is no more tabernacle. There is no more temple on the temple mount. As New Testament Christians, that game has changed drastically. So how do we take David's thought of here's where I want to dwell in the house of the Lord and what he's saying, and how do we correlate that to our lives? Because we really can't make a direct connection. You have to make an application from this verse. So here are three applications that I think are valid concerning the house of the Lord, what that means for us as New Testament Christians, and what we should take away from this phrase in Psalm 23, verse 6, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Application number one is this. Your body as a Christian, is his temple. This makes his presence in every moment reality. So now as a New Testament Christian, your body is his temple. And this makes the presence of God, the Spirit of God in your life, in every moment reality. Understand in the Old Testament, going to the house of the Lord was so special because there was the presence of God and you did not get to commune with God on a continual basis. You did not have, get to have the presence of the Lord with you always that you could just go to him. There, there was a priest system and a sacrificial system. All that was intact because you just couldn't go directly to God in the Old Testament. But as New Testament Christians, we understand that has changed. Now with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, after his ascension, he leaves with us the comforter, the spirit. And he has to teach his disciples this because this is brand new. This is, this is something that hasn't always been, that now you get to have the spirit of God. You get to commune with God. The, the priestly system is done. Now you are a priest. You get to have direct access to God. You get to pray to him. You get to go directly and confess your sins. You get to have a relationship with him. This is why we emphasize so often that you need to come to church to pray and to worship and to hear the word of God, yes, but that you need to do it on your own. That you need to, in your house, you need to open up the Bible and have God speak to you. This is why you need to have a prayer life that you don't need Pastor Mark to go in between you and God. You can go directly to God. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We understand that you don't, you don't have to confess your sins to me. This is a big deal to us. Why? Because of this truth that you get to experience the presence of God, that he resides in you. That's a big deal. That he wants to commune with you. That you should want to commune with him. That you should live in his presence on a moment-by-moment basis. This is what Paul had to correct the Corinthians on and instruct them on that don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Actually, I want you to turn there. It's the only verse we'll turn to today outside of Psalm 23. Go to 1 Corinthians. So you hit the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Romans, and then right after Romans, you come to First and Second Corinthians, pretty big books of the Bible. First Corinthians chapter six, Paul is going to address this specific issue that now the 
house of the Lord, so to speak, is you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look in verse number 19. Chapter 6, verse number 19. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he gives them this rhetorical question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul writes and says, look, don't you know now that there was the tabernacle, there was the temple, that's done, now you're the temple. And don't you know that the temple dweller, the Holy Spirit of God, who dwelt in the tabernacle, who dwelt in the physical temple, now dwells in you, now lives in you, now you can commune with him, now you have his spirit that literally you can dwell in the house of the Lord because you are the house of the Lord, so to speak. That you can walk with God on a day-to-day basis because he lives inside of you. And this is more than just fluffy theology. This is theology that attaches and hooks itself to pragmatism and to reality. For example, Paul attached this theology to the reality and the pragmatism that because of this, you should abstain from sexual sin and fornication. Look, okay, rewind a verse. Go to verse number 18. Of, of 1 Corinthians 6 here. He just talked about that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, but this is what led him to that. Flee, what? Fornication. Sex outside of marriage. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Well, who cares? whoop de do. It's my body. That leads Paul to say, what? Don't you know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And he lives inside of you, and you, you have him. So this, this attaches itself to real reality, and, and Paul used it in a sexual way. And that's very valid for our culture. We live in a sex-craved culture that is constantly just put right in front of us. But if you hold on to this truth that I am the temple of the Lord, that he lives inside of me, all of a sudden, it's tough to put your hands all over her. It's tough to put your hands all over him when you have in your mind and in your heart the truth that God's with me. His presence is here. I'm his temple. All of a sudden, it's a lot more difficult to pull up that website and to look at that because you have an understanding now. I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. I have his presence with me every moment. I should not be doing this. So this is more than just theology and, okay, he, the Spirit of God was in this tabernacle, then he was in this temple, and now he's in me. No, this, this attaches to your Christian walk. This should, this should push you to holiness. This should push you to live for him. Paul specifically uh, pushes it into fornication and sexual sin. You could push it a lot of different ways. To know that God's presence is with me, he wants to commune with me, and that I, as a New Testament Christian, now get to commune with God, and that should mean something to me. Secondly, I think that we can apply this verse in this way. Corporate worship, a.k.a. church, is a big deal. This is probably the closest direct correlation that I could make to what David is saying when he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is saying is, 
I crave that worship service. I crave to go there and be with God. I, I want to hear from him. I want to sing to him. I want to be around him and be around his people and to do this. That's what David is saying, which now uh, to us really is, is church. And that, that direct connection isn't exactly there. It breaks down a little bit. But uh, this is really what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy. And he wrote to Timothy and says, Timothy, if I tarry long, I'm writing so that you may know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. And then he says, what is this house of God? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That you could have definitely apply this to church should be a big deal. The house of God, the house of the Lord, that that should be somewhere that I want to be committed to, that I want to go, that I want to be involved, that this is, this is a big part of my family, this is a big part of our life, that church is, is big. And this, for no other reason, if church is not a, a big deal, I know that you're in church, you're probably thinking, why are you telling me church is a big deal? I'm already here, I already know this. But th- this should be a big deal to you, not just I come to church, but I'm committed to church. As Christians, we're supposed to be little Christ, and Christ is deeply committed to the church. Jesus Christ institutes the church. He starts it. Jesus Christ purchases the church with his own blood. Jesus Christ gives himself for the church. Ephesians tells us that Jesus loves the church, that he is the head of the church, that he is committed to the church. So in in turn, so should we. We should be committed to the church. This is why, if you've been around here the past six, eight months, this is why we've made Discover membership class, membership joining the church. That's why we've made a big deal of that. Hasn't it felt like every time you turn around, there's another Discover membership class coming down the pipe? We've been talking about that every Sunday. It's like, well, we'll announce there's a class, and then we'll say uh, the, the class ended, it was great, here are the members, and then wouldn't you know it, we're just right back out again. There's another class next month, and there's another class this day, and then we have that class, and wouldn't you know it, we're talking about it again. Why? Because church, being committed to the church, being a member of a local church, is a big deal. If you're not, obviously I'm a little biased, okay, I think Harvest Baptist Church is the best church in town. Obviously I'm biased there. But if you feel like, hey, I can't commit myself to this church, you need to commit yourself to some church. So church is a big deal. You should be part of a family. You should be part of a body knowing that I'm committed, you're committed, we're pulling together, we're doing this, and, and I'm going to attend faithfully. I'm going to give regularly. I'm going to live a holy, godly life outside of church to draw people to the light of the gospel and, and into church. And I'm going to come to church with this mindset of I want to encourage other people and build them up and edify them. And I don't just want to come to church to get. I want to come to church to give. I want to give God glory. I want to sing to him. I want to praise him. I want corporate worship to be a big deal. Why? Because it was, what David is saying is this is a big deal to me. The house of the Lord and what we do, that's big time. I want to do that. Jesus is committed to the church. So we should have this application in our lives that church is a big deal. I'm committed. I'm here. I'm all in. How can I serve? How can I worship? What can I do? Thirdly, I would say this. If I was to apply this, and this is probably my favorite application out of them all, is that we will... Enjoy the house of the Lord and the Lord Jesus himself forever. It's a long time. We will enjoy the house of the Lord in in connecting it to heaven and the Lord Jesus himself, the good shepherd, forever. We have an eternal God 
who speaks oftentimes in the Bible in terms of eternality. Who other than God could promise eternal life? Everlasting life. And that is the promise of Scripture. That's the gift of God if you accept His gift of salvation that now you have <laughs> everlasting life. You have eternal life that I get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And uh, what David is saying here is, is essentially that even death is going to serve my greater good, that I'm going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord, that I'm going to dwell with Him forever, that nothing can separate us, as Romans says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It doesn't matter if it's death or life or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come, nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord that we will get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This isn't just any house. This is our Father's house. This is His eternal house, which makes now our present house temporary housing. Where we're at now is, is temporary. Then, as the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Now, this explains several things. First, it explains the homesickness we feel. And we do, don't we? Those, those bumps in the road, those curves, those trials, they come our way, and we don't do well with it. We do not speak death and disease fluently, and we're not supposed to. It's tough for us to cope with that. It's tough for us, for our hearts to wrestle with that. And that pushes us deeper in to know, I'm not made for this. I, I wasn't originally intended to be like this, that there, there is a forever, there is a heaven, there is a life with Jesus, that that's, that's really what I crave. And don't we crave that? Don't we come to those moments and we know that this is really what I want, that this, this isn't supposed to be this tough, it isn't supposed to be this way, and it teaches us that we have a homesickness burning deep inside of us, that, that we, we long for that, we long for heaven, we long for what Jesus is going to offer to be with him, to spend eternity with him, and, and this helps us remember this, is, this isn't all there is. If this was it and death was the end, it would be depressing, but there's more than this. This is why when you come to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation promises in the first chapter that you'll be blessed if you read it. Now, now some think that that means if I read the book of Revelation that God's going to sprinkle magic pixie dust on me and I will just have this special blessing and this aura surrounding my life as I go through life because I read Revelation. I'm going to have more blessing from God if I read this than if I read Romans or if I read Acts or if I read Psalms, which is not at all what the book is saying. What, what is the book of Revelation saying? It's saying from the onset that when you read this, you're going to be blessed. Why am I going to be blessed? Because that book constantly beats the drum that this is not all there is, that there's a future, that there's a real heaven and a real hell, that King Jesus will rule and reign, that we will get to live forever with him, that, that death will will be will be emancipated will be gone it, it won't be anymore that we won't have the disease the tears the sorrow the sickness the pain will be gone and that blesses us that encourages us that helps us to know that that this isn't all there is in life the homesickness that i feel it, it lets me know that there's there's an outlet for that i will have re reality in heaven with jesus for forever that i get to spend it with him that i get to be in heaven 
And what this means for us is that our investments in the temporal, in the here and now, are short-sighted at best. What this means for us is that the time and the money and all of the care that we put into this life that is but a vapor and it vanishes away is it's temporal. It's short-sighted. It's, how, can, how can Jason take his wife and his daughters and go into a tribal culture with violence and, and killing each other and learn this language? Why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why not just stay here and have Christmas with your family? And, and be, Why make that investment? Because I guarantee you, attached to his heart is this truth. That this is not all there is. This is temporal. There is an eternal. There is an everlasting. And he is, he's laying up treasure in heaven, as Jesus said. He's investing in eternity. And this is, uh, to quote Jesus, Matthew 6, he says these words, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves, they break through and they steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, I've stayed in a lot of hotel rooms. I've never renovated one. Not one. They all have an ugly painting on the wall, like every one of them. I've never taken it down, gone to the store, bought a pretty one, and put it up in, put it up in the hotel room. I never fixed the drywall. I never, I never changed the covers and bought my own. Why? Because I understand it's temporary housing. I'm there for a night, two nights, three nights, and I'm gone. If I'm going to make an investment, I'll, I'll buy a, a couch from my house that I'm going to live in for 20, 30, 40 years. Okay? Apply that to eternity. Your life the stuff we get sidetracked with right now, it's, it's a hotel room. It's temporary housing. It's a vapor and it's gone. But there's an eternity to invest in. There's a forever to lay up for. This is, this is, this is deeply practical. This is why on Saturday and then on, again the next Saturday, April the 1st and the 8th, we're going to band together and we'll take these, these little door hanger flyers and we'll walk around our town and we'll, and we'll put them on doors. Why would we do that? Because we understand that has a connection to eternity. Someone's going to get that. A lot of people are going to get those and they're going to come to a service. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be saved. And then a couple weeks later, they're going to be baptized. I'm going to be able to make a connection to eternity in that small investment of an hour, an hour and a half or two hours of doing that. This is why next week, I won't, a spoiler alert, Okay, come back next week because we're going to give you a, a deeply practical way that you can invest in eternity next week and that you can actually do this and you'll, you'll just have to come and hear more about it. But this is why we constantly want to give you those opportunities to encourage you to serve, to encourage you to do more, to be involved in missions, to go on the Nicaragua trip, to give to your church. Why? Because we're laying up treasures in heaven. Because we're investing in eternity that we are putting our treasures, we're sending them ahead. And as we look back now at this chapter of Psalm 23 as a whole, there have been some amazing truths that we've learned, but we, we at least see this when you see the chapter as a whole now. That David is saying and God is saying through his word that the journey may not always be easy, but it's going to be worthwhile. That you walk through this passage and you see that 
that there is the valley of the shadow of death, that there is times where he needs to restore our soul and he needs to anoint our head with oil and free us from the friction. And it, it may not be easy, but when it's all said and done, our cup runs over. Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life and we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That it's worthwhile, it means something, that all the trials of this life get swallowed up in the joy of the feast and that we get to enjoy heaven, we get to enjoy the presence of Jesus, that we get to forever be with him. Later on, at the very end of the service, we're going to show a video, and the video basically pounds home this truth that connects to, to the sermon today, that some of you think of heaven, and, and I feel for you, because you just don't see it biblically, and your vision of heaven is this giant sing-along in the sky. And, and the truth is your heart sinks. And you think that's it? Won't I get bored eventually? Won't I? And my heart sinks too. Because that's not the truth. Heaven is so, will we worship Jesus? Oh, you bet we will. More than we ever have before. Will we, will we have time with him? Yes, but heaven is going to one day be, the Bible tells us, there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will, as Jesus resurrected, so our bodies will be resurrected, and we will live bodily in, in an earth that we will dwell, that there will be a new Jerusalem without getting to all the eschatology and all the theology of that. The bottom line is this, heaven is going to be culture and people and laughing and parties and worship and services and it's going to be it's going to be life that you long for right now but you can just never seem to grab it and you can never seem to just get it but that's going to be heaven as God intended it to be for you to live for you to commune with him and, and to exist even in community that's one day that's going to happen that I'm sure some of you I, I, I guarantee you'll be able to go fish in the river of life and have a good time there. Okay, I can't guarantee that, but possibly you'll be able to. <laughs> but heaven is, it's, it's so much to be longed for. That's why in the New Testament, the Christians are constantly longing for Jesus to come again, for, for this all to be made right, for this, this mortal to put on immortality, as Paul writes. This is something that our heart does desire deep down that we should we should tune into and know that the trials of this life will be worth it all in the end when we see Jesus, when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David here in Psalm 23, he, he looks back at all of the benefits that the shepherd has enriched him with and he sees all of the, the mercies of God bestowed upon him and he becomes persuaded that this is going to continue that this is going to be forever, that I am going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we as New Testament Christians should anchor to that truth of the house of the Lord. Are you his house? Yes, you are. He dwells in you, and that should, that should push you to be a holy people. Is, is church God's house, and should we celebrate it and make a big deal of it? Yes, it is. But one day we understand this will, this will be done but we will have him and we will have the house of the Lord and we will have King Jesus to worship forever and ever and ever.